Hey folks, Jeff Salzman here, and welcome to the Daily Evolver. Um, broadcasting today from the, what'd you say, Corey? From the- From the fallout shelter? From the fallout shelter. <laughs> Actually, they just arrived with all their lawn mowing equipment next door, so I'm, I quickly came down here with my laptop and I'm downstairs and hopefully it'll be fine. But Corey, as you pointed out, it's uh, not a bad metaphor for the topic today. <laughs> which is the ascension of John Bolton to the head of the national security apparatus of the United States of America. And um, before we get into that, let me just say that I welcome Corey DeVos with us today. Hey, Corey. Hey, hey, man. Good to be back with you. Yeah. So Corey is the editor-in-chief of Integral Life, who hosts us here live three days a week. And I want to thank you for that, man. And anything we need to know about what's going on at Integral Life, any new stuff that is uh, cool and interesting? Yeah, a few things. I mean, we're, we're really ramping up these Integral Live broadcasts in a big way. So this Saturday, we're doing another uh, episode with Terry Patton, followed by Keith Witt the following Saturday. Uh, I think we're going to start doing a regular show with Bina Sharma. We're going to start looking at the sort of the intricacies of uh, ego development. Um, so yeah, that's that's ramping up uh, pretty well. It's, it's it's very exciting, I think. Other than that, we're doing a big event. Um, well, it's actually a, I'm, I'm going to say it's a small event uh, here in Denver in June. We're going to do a private loft event with Ken Wilbur and a few special guests. Um, if anyone is interested in that, you can find out more information on integrallife.com/events. Cool. Well, thanks so much. And that's all good stuff. And, um, and yeah, and I encourage people to uh, join Integral Life, become a member. It's $100 a year, and it is uh, well worth it. It's the you know, key integral portal for the integral world. Today. And just to let everyone know, you can get your first month for $1, which will give you access to everything on the site, all the practices, all the something like, what, 15 years worth of dialogues in our archives yeah one dollar for the first month yeah all right all right so then let's turn our attention to what's going on here in world politics and american politics and particularly this shuffling that's going on in the white house with trump's uh, national security uh, uh, people uh we have Rex Tillerson and General H.R. McMaster's both leaving, McMaster's being the old NSA director, and Rex Tillerson being the Secretary of State, and they're being replaced by Mike Pompeo at Secretary of State, and then this John Bolton at the NSA. And um, so from a real quick, integral perspective, what we see is that two modernists, two orange modernists, have been replaced by two men who have a center of gravity at amber at best, uh, and in the Bolton's, Bolton's case, it may even be red. And both of them are serving a president whose center of gravity is at the red warrior stage. And, you know, I know a lot of you write to me to say that you listen to the Daily Evolver because I make you feel like things are going a little better than you thought. And it is to you especially that I apologize in advance for this episode because I got to say, these appointments actually scare me. 
And I do think that they significantly raise the stakes that something truly bad could happen, that we could start another war and it, it could go very bad. And, you know, I don't think that's the most likely case scenario, but it's way beyond zero at this point. And, it, and you know, the clock is moving closer to midnight, if you will. So anyway, let's look at, uh, at this through an integral lens. And let's start with, you know, my fear itself, uh, to use um, FDR's term. Uh, and just look at it and, and, and to see that I live in a world, uh, a modern, postmodern world, where violence is not a factor in my day-to-day -day life. You know, I've lived my whole life without any significant run-in with violence, and most of my friends have. It's not to say everybody has, but the far greater proportion, enormously greater proportion of people do that in the modern and postmodern world. And so I see that I'm dealing here with people who don't live in that world, who live in the world of traditionalism, uh, what we call amber stage of development, or maybe early modern. And these are people who think and see that the world is quite violent. And it is a dangerous place. And they have a piece of the truth there. And they have um, some view of the world that fills in a blind spot that I naturally have. And as an integralist, I want to explore that. And I want to sort of open myself up to that so that I can understand it better. And in the case of Bolton, um, this is a guy who sees that um, the United States has overwhelming military power on this planet. It is absolutely crazy that we're not using it to make a better world, you know, to, um, to, to, to work for good instead of evil. And that's sort of the religious formulation that people have at Amber, you know, that the world is a cosmic battle between God and the devil, essentially, be, between good and evil. And I'm here, and, you know, at my sacred mission in being here is to find and fight evil in myself in first person, in the people I'm around in second person, and in the world in terms of, you know, these malevolent en enemies. And if I'm not seeing where evil is hiding. And if I don't know who my enemies are and where they are and what they're up to and how they're thinking, then I am being irresponsible. And if I'm not actively fighting them, then you know, I'm not doing what I'm here to do and I'm endangering my immortal soul. And that's the religious view. Now you can have sort of a more secular uh, expression of that too with this sort of patriotic nationalism that sees that America is the shining city on the hill and a beacon of freedom in a you know, evil corrupt world and that it needs to be defended against the enemies that are arrayed to bring her down and it has been successfully defended and, and preserved time after time by men who saw the world as it was and were willing to fight for it. And, you know, there's a, 
an, exa an example that's almost always used in this um, in this argument, and this is the Bolton argument, is the Syrian nuclear reactor. And I think it was in the 80s when Israel saw that it was being built. Syria was a sworn enemy. Um, they were, you know, making nuclear material, and Israel went and bombed it. And that ended the serious the Syrian nuclear program. And aren't we glad, considering where Syria has gone, that Bashar Assad didn't have nuclear weapons? And are we going to regret that we didn't take out North Korea's nuclear capabilities when we had the chance? Is that we didn't basically do the same thing that Bill Clinton? didn't do the same thing back in the 80s when they first started their nuclear program. And George Bush didn't do anything about it. And now they have a nuke that could hit Seattle or LA. And if that goes off, are we going to regret then that we didn't stop it now? And if you don't see that, you're naive. And if you're not prepared to fight, you're weak. <clears throat> and if you think you're frightened by me, you modern postmodern wimps. Then let me tell you, I'm frightened by you <clears throat> because you're weak and inviting aggression by our enemies. And this is basically what um, Bolton said in his article from the Wall Street Journal, which was published, I think it was exactly a month ago today, February 28th. And here's what he wrote. Here's just a couple paragraphs. He said, <clears throat> CIA Director Mark Pompeo, and this is the Mark Pompeo, Mike Pompeo, that is now going to be Secretary of State. CIA Director Mike Pompeo said in January that Pyongyang was within, quote, a handful of months of being able to deliver nuclear warheads to the U.S. How long must America wait before it acts to eliminate that threat? Preemption opponents argue, argue that action is not justified because because Pyongyang does not constitute an imminent threat. They are wrong. The threat is imminent. And given the gaps in US intelligence about North Korea, we should not wait until the very last minute. That would risk striking after the North has deliverable nuclear weapons, a much more dangerous situation. All right, so that's, that's pretty much the way you know, they see it. And um, so I want to understand that. I want to see the piece of the truth that they have. And I want to put it in, you know, a bigger context and, you know, and, and to, to, to translate it into, you know, the, the, the bigger world, which actually there's a, there's a skin on the world that is, you know, reliably modern at this point. There's a lot of the developed world that's modern, a lot of the developed world, and, and even second world, if you will, that live in the kind of peace that I live in here in Boulder. I was just down in Mexico, and I know they have their problems in certain areas of Mexico that are absolutely like war zones. But I was in a big city, you know, Puerto Vallarta, and everybody was walking around, and everybody was having a good time, and it was no problem. So we can really take that into account and actually look the, uh, at how um, nuclear weapons have, you know, really, if you will, evolved since their last use 75 years ago in Nagasaki. 
uh, it actually didn't go the way we feared. Uh, after World War II, it was assumed by, you know, all of the political scientists and commentary and politicians, not all, but many, that every country that could would develop a nuclear program. And the number of countries that actually did is, is only nine. That's nine too many, but it's only nine. And since the 1980s with the START talks, um, there has been a actually quite radical reduction of nuclear weapons in the world. Uh, <clears throat> and the number of countries that possess fissile materials that could be made into bombs re relatively quickly has been reduced over the past 25 years from 50 to 24. And 54,000 nuclear bombs have been dismantled since 1986. Now that still leaves over 10,000, but, but that's a reduction of four fifths. And that is an interesting and, and very good trend. Now, the doctrine, of course, that people point to after World War II is the destruction, the, 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 the MAD doctrine, the, the doctrine of mutually assured destruction. That if I am going to, if you're going to use nuclear weapons on me, I'm going to use them on you and we're both going to suffer. It's going to be a loss for both people. That is basically a modern view in the sense that um, uh, war is just not worth it. The, the, the loss is too ruinous. And that doctrine has worked with a lot of bad hombres, as Donald Trump would say. Um, Stalin, Mao, uh, 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 it, it, it's working now with, um, with Kim Jong-un, for that matter. And, and, and he's basically cut from the same cloth as they are. And integral theory gives us a really interesting way of looking at this. And that is the people that we have to worry about with nuclear weapons, it's, and this is always sort of the case, this is still the big category of problems in the world today, is that we have modern weaponry that be, can be given to people with basically, you know, bronze age morality. And they could never make these weapons, but they can use these weapons. So the people we want to fear, I'm with Obama here, are, are it, it, the scenario would go something like this, that some you know, religious fanatic in the Pakistani nuclear program would smuggle some fissile material to the Taliban who would give it to one of their more crazy people and it would end up going off or in a dirty bomb or something like that. And that would be the red stage, the, the holy warrior who thinks that today is a good day to die. That's what, that's what warriors think. And they are happy to actually bring the world into a conflagration. That's, you know, what they're after. And because that then delivers us to the, you know, promised land of whatever sort they're believing in. And those are the people you really don't want to have nuclear capabilities in their hands, the people who live in the caves, if you will, not the people who live in the palaces, not, <laughs> not the guy in the case of Kim Jong-un who's afraid of flying 
So he therefore travels in an armored train uh, that is preceded and followed by two other armored trains that basically represent a small army to protect him. Uh, and doesn't even tell his own people he's leaving because he's afraid of a coup if he's gone. And that's, you know, that's him in the last couple of days going to China. Um, so that guy, that guy doesn't want to die. That guy doesn't have any delusions about going to the happy hunt hunting grounds. That guy wants to stay in power. And that's the same motivation of, you know, Stalin's and Mao's and, you know, our guys too, who didn't want, you know, they knew that it was a non-winnable situation. And this is so, I mean, if, 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 Mao and Stalin thought it was an unwinnable situation. Kim must certainly know that, especially with Trump in office, that he would be obliterated. And I think we can actually rely on that. And I'm not actually sure that that's not what's in Trump's mind and that he can actually go to Kim with, you know, Bolton and Pompeo and say, hey, you know, look at look at us. You know, look at our credentials here. We're the guys who want to blow you up. We're the guys who want to take you on, and that may actually work, uh, but not if we actually do it. You know that there, 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 there's an argument, and I've read it. You know, credible foreign poly, policy analyst that was in Foreign Policy magazine. I'm forgetting his name, but he argued that you know a war with North Korea would be horrible. We'd have tens of thousands of losses in that peninsula, but you know, they have a lot of um, uh, 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 nuclear shelters and you know, we'd survive it. Uh, but I don't think we have, I mean, I, I, I would so much, I think that the odds are so much better that we just sort of muddle through and you know, trust evolution in the sense that eventually, I mean, Kim's not going to use this stuff. He doesn't want to be obliterated. And, you know, time will run its course. And at some point, even, and it could be a long time, these authoritarian regimes that are as skillful as the Kim's can last a long time. But it's not inevitable. In fact, what is inevitable is the continued growth. Um, so, Anyway, I, I'll, I'll end here now with a quote from Steven Pinker in his book, um, Enlightenment Now, which I'm going to review here in a couple of weeks, probably. And he's talking about this long piece that, you know, really belies human history in the sense that, you know, the great powers have not fought each other since 1945. So whatever it is, 75 years. And he's saying now... The world may be blessed, may have been blessed with the miraculous run of good luck. No one will ever know. But before resigning ourselves to that scientifically disreputable conclusion, we should at least consider the possibility that systemic features of the international system have worked against the use of nuclear weapons. And you know, that's a hard thing for him to say because he's such a materialist to say that actually there could just be what well, he's saying systemic features of the system. So that's really exteriors. But it's more than that. It's a, a growth into um, modern consciousness and not just modern technological prowess wedded with pre-modern consciousness, which is Nazis and everybody, you know, before that um, who could get modern weaponry. 
but modernity in the exteriors, in terms of technology, but also the interiors, in terms of the you know humanism, and a respect for other people, and an expansion of the circle of moral consideration to more people, and that is online too, and that is um, you know something that I think we need to notice and um, you know take into consideration. So. You know, I'm worried that um, the Trump could go wrong with this because I don't have any faith in him. You know, as a as a truly red character, he he's you know the, the religious motivation, even the patriotic motivation, all of that is abstract to him. What's real for him is what serves him. And you know they don't call it the egocentric stage of development for nothing. It's really that that is what's preeminent in people at that stage's development, and everything else is sort of you know moves their 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 uh, uh, pieces on their game board. And Trump has made a couple statements. One of which is, why aren't we allowed to use nukes? You know, I mean, the idea of not using your most powerful weapon, Donald Trump has used the most powerful weapon at his, at his disposal his entire life. So, you know, that's scary to me. And then the other thing he said that's scary to me is that, you know, the presidents who get the really high ratings are the ones who fought a war. And that's actually true. But I don't want Donald Trump thinking that or saying that especially with John Bolton at his side. So, you know, I'm worried. Um, and, um, you, know, I, 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 you know, I want to do, you know, the, the kind of integral practice that doesn't just use my, does, doesn't just have worry, um, feel heavy and defeating, but has, has worry turn into action and activism and some way of keeping one's eyes open and countering this, you know, whether it's a letter to your congressman or whatever it might be, or demonstrations. But this is something to um, definitely keep an eye on and, um, and resist uh, at, at every turn. So that's my thought on the subject. Um, Corey is still there, you hanging in there? What are you thinking? By a thread, man. <laughs> yeah, this is, you know, uh, I mean, this administration has been sort of a, a constant parade of horrors from the beginning. And uh, I, I think this appointment is by far the most terrifying act we've seen so far. You know, what I see is, is a, 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 an administration that's beleaguered on all sides by scandal by investigations criminal investigations porn stars russians and i mean all this stuff you know and, and and i i and i see a president who's desperate to find a distraction uh a president who's desperate to put all this behind him and get a new story that makes him look strong and tough and powerful and you know at the same time i also see a political party that is, from what I can tell, becoming increasingly morally bankrupt and hypocritical 
you know, you've got Scott Walker preventing elections from taking place in Wisconsin. You've got a literal Nazi running on the GOP ticket in Illinois. You, I mean, it's a shit show. And what's going on is this party is, you know, has power, has control over all three branches of, of our government and yet is facing, uh, you know, sort of a demographic, an inevitable demographic annihilation and are trying to secure their power in the face of that, you know, diminishing sort of control that they see coming down the line right around the corner. And, you know, I think that this party is also desperate to turn the page and get a new story going on and do whatever they can to prevent this, what seems to be a big blue wave from coming in 2018. So, you know, I see this sort of perfect shitstorm of factors of, of, of people in positions of massive power who are basically looking for any excuse to justify using that power. And I think that's where people like Bolton come in. He, he, he offers all the justification you, and, and he has been since what, 2004. I mean, that's when, you know, he first showed up on my radar. Um, you know, and, and the most frustrating thing too is it's, it's yet another example of a warmonger who himself did everything possible to avoid serving in the military. And these are the most terrifying people. You yeah. know, the, these are the armchair generals. And you who, just wonder, I mean, you know, maybe we have one guy still in our corner for as long as he lasts, and that's, I mean, Mad Dog Mattis, yeah. Secretary of Defense. I mean, that's who we're counting on. Yeah. Not to go off the rails, Mad Dog. Right. Uh, and also, you know, the other branches of government. I mean, I, I, I don't know uh, how the Republican Congress would respond to a first strike. Um, but the problem is they're, they're actually not in the game uh, because the executive has such unilateral power in, yep. in, 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 you know, in terms of military yep. in ways that are actually unconstitutional. Yep. You know, only Congress shall declare war, but that's not, been, that's not been the way it's gone. We haven't declared war in 75 years. Yeah, exactly. And we fought our share in that time. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so there's a lot of unilateral power with, um, with Trump and, and, um, and Bolton. Pumping. Particularly since 9-11, Jeff. Yeah. Particularly since 9-11, when basically, you know, we have this foreign policy in place where if you can find any connective tissue whatsoever to the 9-11 attacks, you know, the executive is, is basically able to do whatever they want. They're able to use the military however they like. Yeah. Without any, you know, congressional oversight. So here's, here's, here's the, my positive fantasy. That, that, you know, Trump, you know, Trump is, is actually not talked like a warmonger. He, has, he, he is a warrior in his own life. He fights everybody. He'd rather, the one thing, he, as I've, I've often said, the one thing he likes better than winning is just fighting. And that's what red. If you're not, if you get up in the morning as a person whose center of gravity is at red, you got to be fighting, or else you're just a sitting duck. So that's that is him. But yet he's talked over the years um, in terms of you know he was against the Iraq War. Well, maybe he wasn't. Maybe he wasn't. But at least he, in the last you know twelve years, has been against the the Iraq War. And you know the grand bargain. And the Korean Peninsula 
would be a denuclearization of North Korea in exchange for the removal of American troops. And, you know, maybe he thinks he can do that. Um, I don't think there's much of a chance that either of those things would happen, actually. Um, I, I think there's an argument that Kim would be crazy to do that. He might stop his program for, you know, the intercontinental missiles. Uh, but, um, but that's not what Bolton's arguing for. That's right. Maybe we're, maybe we're Trump's at, but that's not where Bolton's at. That's right. So that scares the crap out of me. Yeah. 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 Well, I guess they sort of try to find, you know, the silver lining in all this. Um, you know, there's a lot of people, there's a meme out there, which is, you know, how, how did we end up in the darkest timeline? And I want to suggest that this actually isn't the darkest timeline. I was, I was, I was talking with Angie last night, you know, and I'm, I'm, I was thinking about the, uh, the 2008 election and, you know, how really, I mean, it was within the realm of possibility. Obama could have lost right? McCain and Palin could have won. And when I look at the timing of that, and then I look at the timing of John McCain's very, I'm not, you know, making light of it at all, is, you know, the brain cancer he was diagnosed with, and how the stresses of, you know, being the leader of the free world actually could have, um, you know, shortened that timeline. Um, you know, that, that tumor could have So we'd have a president we would have a President Palin. And I was asking Angie last night, I'm like, what would you be more terrified of, President Trump or President Palin? And I think we both agreed we're better off with President Trump because at least he is surrounding himself with incompetence and you know, <laughs> going against his own party in a lot of ways. Whereas I think Palin would be, you know, would, would have exactly the government installed around her that she needed to fully waged you know we would we would all be you know doing mandatory prayer before starting our episode if... <laughs> so we have malevolence tempered by incompetence yeah yeah exactly so we're not we're not in the worst timeline we're not in the darkest timeline we're in like the penultimate timeline yeah yeah so whatever hope that gives you yeah it's pretty thin pretty thin gruel my friend <laughs> all right well let's uh, see how it goes and um, thanks so much for, again, the opportunity to come on and spread the word. Absolutely. Loving it. All right, everybody. Uh, take care. Thanks for listening to The Daily Evolver. Thank you, Corey DeVos. Thank you, Integral Life. And uh, stay in touch, and we'll see you next time.